0: The Philanthropist and the Happy Cat from Beasts and Superbeasts by Sarkey. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Andrew Coleman. The Philanthropist and the Happy Cat by Sarki. Jacantha Besbury was in the mood to be serenely and graciously happy her world was a pleasant place and it was wearing one of its pleasantest aspects gregory had managed to get home for a hurried lunch and a smoke afterwards in the little snuggery the lunch had been a good one and there was just time to do justice to the coffee and cigarettes both were excellent in their way and gregory was in his way an excellent husband Jacantha rather suspected herself of making him a very charming wife "'and more than suspected herself of having a first-rate dressmaker. "'I don't suppose a more thoroughly contented personality "'is to be found in all Chelsea,' observed Chicantha, in allusion to herself. "'Except perhaps at Ab, she continued, "'glancing towards the large tabby-marked cat "'that lay in considerable ease in a corner of the divan. "'He lies there, purring and dreaming,' Shifting his limbs now and then in an ecstasy of cushioned comfort, he seems the incarnation of everything soft and silky and velvety, without a sharp edge in his composition, a dreamer whose philosophy is sleep and let sleep. And then, as evening draws on, he goes out into the garden with a red glint in his eyes and slays a drowsy sparrow. As every pair of sparrows hatches out ten or more young ones in the year while their food supply remains stationary, it is just as well that the atabs of the community should have that idea of how to pass an amusing afternoon, said Gregory, having delivered himself of this sage comment, he lit another cigarette, bade Jacantha a playfully affectionate good-bye, and departed into the outer world. "'Remember, dinner's a wee bit earlier tonight "'as we're going to the haymarket,' she called after him. "'Left to herself, Jacantha continued the process "'of looking at her life with placid, introspective eyes. "'If she had not everything she wanted in this world, "'at least she was very well pleased with what she had got. "'She was very well pleased, for instance, with the snuggery, "'which contrived somehow to be cosy and dainty and expensive.' all at once. The porcelain was rare and beautiful. The Chinese enamels took on wonderful tints in the firelight. The rugs and hangings led the eye through sumptuous harmonies of colouring. It was a room in which one might have suitably entertained an ambassador or an archbishop. But it was also a room in which one could cut out pictures for a scrapbook, without feeling that one was scandalising the deities of the place with one's litter and as with the snuggery, so with the rest of the house, and as with the house, so with the other departments of Jacantha's life. She really had good reason for being one of the most contented women in Chelsea. From being in a mood of simmering satisfaction with her lot, she passed to the phase of being generously commiserating for those thousands around her whose lives and circumstances were dull, cheap, pleasureless, and empty, Work girls, shop assistants, and so forth, the class that have neither the happy-go-lucky freedom of the poor nor the leisured freedom of the rich, came specially within the range of her sympathy. It was sad to think that there were young people who, after a long day's work, had to sit alone in chill, dreary bedrooms because they could not afford the price of a cup of coffee and a sandwich in a restaurant, still less. "'a shilling for a theatre gallery. Jacantha's mind was still dwelling on this theme "'when she started forth on an afternoon campaign of desultory shopping. "'It would be rather a comforting thing,' she told herself, "'if she could do something, on the spur of the moment, "'to bring a gleam of pleasure and interest into the life "'of even one or two wistful-hearted, empty-pocketed workers.' It would add a good deal to her sense of enjoyment at the theatre that night. She would get two upper-circle tickets for a popular play, make her way into some cheap tea shop, and present the tickets to the first couple of interesting workgirls with whom she could casually drop into conversation. She could explain matters by saying that she was unable to use the tickets herself, and did not want them to be wasted, and, on the other hand, did not want the trouble of sending them back On further reflection, she decided that it might be better to get only one ticket, and give it to some lonely-looking girl, sitting eating her frugal meal by herself, the girl might scrape acquaintance with her next-seat neighbour at the theatre, and lay the foundations of a lasting friendship. With the fairy godmother impulse strong upon her, Jacantha marched into a ticket-agency, and selected with immense care an upper-circle seat for The Yellow Peacock, a play that was attracting a considerable amount of discussion and criticism. Then she went forth in search of a tea-shop and philanthropic adventure, at about the same time that Atab sauntered into the garden with a mind attuned to sparrow-stalking. In a corner of an ABC shop she found an unoccupied table, whereat she promptly installed herself, impelled by the fact that at the next table was sitting a young girl, rather plainer feature, with tired, listless eyes, and a general air of uncomplaining forlornness. Her dress was of poor material, but aimed at being in the fashion. Her hair was pretty, and her complexion bad. She was finishing a modest meal of tea and scone, "'and she was not very different in her way from thousands of other girls "'who were finishing, or beginning, or continuing their teas in London tea-shops "'at that exact moment. "'The odds were enormously in favour of the supposition "'that she had never seen the yellow peacock. "'Obviously she supplied excellent material "'for Jacantha's first experiment in haphazard benefaction. Jacantha ordered some tea and a muffin.' and then turned a friendly scrutiny on her neighbour, with a view to catching her eye. At that precise moment the girl's face lit up with sudden pleasure, her eyes sparkled, a flush came into her cheeks, and she looked almost pretty. A young man, whom she greeted with an affectionate, Hello, Bertie! came up to her table, and took his seat in a chair facing her. Jacantha looked hard at the newcomer. He was in appearance a few years younger than herself very much better-looking than Gregory, rather better-looking, in fact, than any of the young men of her set. She guessed him to be a well-mannered young clerk in some wholesale warehouse, existing and amusing himself as best he might on a tiny salary, and commanding a holiday of about two weeks in the year. He was aware, of course, of his good looks, but with the shy self-consciousness of the Anglo-Saxon, not the blatant complacency "'of the Latin or Semite. he was obviously on terms of friendly intimacy "'with the girl he was talking to. "'Probably they were drifting towards a formal engagement. Jacantha pictured the boy's home, "'in a rather narrow circle, "'with a tiresome mother who always wanted to know "'how and where he spent his evenings. "'He would exchange that humdrum thraldom in due course "'for a home of his own, "'dominated by a chronic scarcity of pounds, shillings and pence.' and a dearth of most of the things that made life attractive or comfortable. Jacantha felt extremely sorry for him. She wondered if he had seen the yellow peacock. The odds were enormously in favour of the supposition that he had not. The girl had finished her tea, and would shortly be going back to her work. When the boy was alone, it would be quite easy for Jacantha to say, "'My husband has made other arrangements for me this evening. "'Would you care to make use of this ticket, which would otherwise be wasted?' "'Then she could come there again one afternoon for tea, "'and, if she saw him, ask him how he liked the play. "'If he was a nice boy, and improved on acquaintance, "'he could be given more theatre tickets, "'and perhaps asked to come one Sunday to tea at Chelsea.' Jacantha made up her mind that he would improve on acquaintance, and that Gregory would like him, and that the fairy godmother business would prove far more entertaining than she had originally anticipated. The boy was distinctly presentable. He knew how to brush his hair, which was possibly an imitative faculty. He knew what colour of tie suited him, which might be intuition. He was exactly the type that Jacantha admired, which of course was accident altogether she was rather pleased when the girl looked at the clock and bade a friendly but hurried farewell to her companion Bertie nodded good-bye gulped down a mouthful of tea and then produced from his overcoat pocket a paper-covered book bearing the title *Sapoi and Sahib: a tale of the great mutiny the laws of tea-shop etiquette forbid that you should offer theatre tickets to a stranger without having first caught the stranger's eye It is even better if you can ask to have a sugar-basin passed to you, having previously concealed the fact that you have a large and well-filled sugar-basin on your own table. This is not difficult to manage, as the printed menu is generally nearly as large as the table, and can be made to stand on end. Jacantha set to work hopefully. She had a long and rather high-pitched discussion with the waitress concerning alleged defects in an altogether blameless muffin. She made loud and plaintive inquiries about the tube service to some impossibly remote suburb. She talked with brilliant insincerity to the tea-shop kitten, and, as a last resort, she upset a milk-jug and swore at it daintily. Altogether she attracted a good deal of attention, but never for a moment did she attract the attention of the boy with the beautifully brushed hair. Who were some thousands of miles away in the baking plains of Hindustan, amid deserted bungalows, seething bazaars, and riotous barrack squares, listening to the throbbing of tom toms and the distant rattle of musketry. Jacantha went back to her house in Chelsea, which struck her for the first time as looking dull and overfurnished. She had a resentful conviction that Gregory would be uninteresting at dinner, and that the play would be stupid after dinner. On the whole, her frame of mind showed a marked divergence from the purring complacency of Atab, who was again curled up in his corner of the divan, with a great peace radiating from every curve of his body. But then he had killed his sparrow. End of The Philanthropist and the Happy Cat